trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. This program is brought to you each weekday by great sponsors like MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, as well as the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. And I do appreciate you being part of a growing audience of wrong thinkers. Now, for those who are wondering about the term, for some people, that's a, that's a new term. Uh, wrong think? Yes. Probably best understood in the context of new speak, which if you haven't uh, dusted off your copy of 1984 by George Orwell, it uh, pretty much describes how we're expected to think and speak today. Anything that falls outside of the accepted norms of what, uh, I guess, those who know best would have us think, well, it constitutes wrong think, which is kind of a form of thought crime. Now, that was kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing for a long time. In fact, when, when I coined the, the phrase for this program, or at least the motto for this program, Revel in Wrong Think, I was doing that pretty much tongue-in-cheek, but I didn't realize how quickly that would become the reality of anything that questions the dominant narratives is going to uh, get you accused of, you know, some pretty nefarious stuff. But I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're thinking for yourself. And I'll never insist that you have to agree with me. I'll present the best information that I can get my hands on, but it's up to you what you choose to do with it. And just so you know, um, my approach is is always, as it has been for a long time, to try to get people to think a little more deeply about uh, current events and things that are going on, issues and so forth. But my goal above that is to do it without bringing more anger or more fear to the equation. I mean, there's plenty of that to go around, right? I don't know if you caught any of the stuff that was going on in Portland over the weekend, but holy cow, how long before we have actual full-on fighting in the streets between Antifa and the Proud Boys? I mean, they were shooting at each other yesterday, or at least somebody was shooting at each other. They were throwing homemade explosives, and they were spraying foul substances and pepper spray and beating each other. And There's some pretty ugly stuff going forward. And I'm, I'm not saying that like that's a good thing. It's just recognize that, yeah, it's going on. There are a lot of things that are out of our immediate control. And learning how to better frame our understanding of what's going on in, in, in the context of what can I do? See, the stuff that's going on in Portland, there's really nothing much that I can do about that. I'm not about to go join in because, uh, you know, one side's waving the flag and the other one is <laughs> dressed all in black and, you know, going around screaming dirty words. That doesn't work for me. So if I can't control those events, I'll tell you what I can control. That's how much of that kind of information I consume. And I have had to put myself on a pretty short leash here lately when it comes to what kind of media I'm willing to consume. If it's something that brings fear into my heart, I have to reevaluate whether I really need that. Because at, at stake here is, does it add value to my life? Does it better help me understand the world? In fact, I like to put it this way. Does it better help me understand who I am and what I stand for? Anybody can rail about what they're against. 
That's the easiest. The path of least resistance. That's that's just too simple. You don't even have to be informed. All you have to do is assure people, I am against slavery. You know, and then sit back and soak up the accolades. Oh, that's so brave. Yeah. Especially since, you know, chattel slavery was eliminated a hundred and some odd years ago. And it's just, it's not been an issue since about 1865. But hey, you know, whatever makes you look virtuous and, you know, thanks for signaling that to us. The one place where we have absolute control is in how we choose to react to what's going on around us. Case in point, there's an excellent book out there. If, if you're into reading, this is one I would recommend. I don't know if an audiobook version of this exists, but uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Dr. Viktor Frankl, who was held in a concentration camp during World War II. So pretty bad circumstances. But that book is a very powerful tool in illustrating how even in the worst circumstances possible, people could choose to react either positively or negatively. I mean, I, look, I have no illusions. You put me in a concentration camp, I'm going to be one bummed out individual. But because of Dr. Frankel's book, there's a part of me that wants to believe that maybe I could react like some of the, the fellow inmates that, that he was in the camp with who understood it was, it was a very grave situation. They understood that this is about the worst that humanity can do to one another. But they chose to react in a positive way, meaning instead of becoming you know turned inward and bitter, God, where are you? Why did you turn your backs on us? They turned their attention to helping their fellow prisoners. And these were the people who survived. I guess that's that to me, that's the interesting part. The ones who made it through, the ones who had the mental resilience to survive the, the worst circumstances you can imagine, were the ones who took that bit of control that they had over how they would react and turned it to, how can I help the people around me? Now, look, you and I have nothing right now going on in our lives that's quite as challenging as, you know, trying to survive a death camp. At least I hope not. If you were, I don't know how you would be listening to this program. But beside the point, we do have things going on that are in, intensely challenging. And I don't just mean, you know, the COVID lockdowns and you know, the, the ongoing loss of our freedoms. Trust me, those are real problems. But there are also people out there who are, you know, watching, watching their spouse go through, you know, cancer treatment with, with maybe a very, um, you know, uh, not good prognosis. When you're going through difficult times, whether they're problems writ large or whether they're problems writ small, nothing will help keep your wits about you and keep your yourself grounded and centered in reality like trying to help the people around you. And I'm not saying this because, oh, I'm a perfect example of that. I'm not, but I'm, I'm trying to become more that way. However, I have seen firsthand people who are like this. No matter how tough things get for them, they are still looking for ways to reach out and to serve the people around them. I consider my problems to be pretty small. And yeah, I've got, I've got problems. Don't be fooled about that perfect life you think you see on my social media channels. It's, it's great, but it's, it's not perfect. 
And there are times where I am in, you know, almost near despair from what I see going on. But when I find myself struggling the most, I have found this to be true and I recommend it to you. Find somebody that you can serve. I don't know how, I don't know why, but I can tell you it works. It will lift your spirits. It takes your focus off yourself. And maybe that's the point. Maybe that's how God made us is, you know, if if we stop focusing inward, oh, I'm so miserable and look how terrible my life is and start focusing on what can I do to lift people around me? You don't have time to feel sorry for yourself. I think back to, I guess it would be a year ago last March when the lockdowns really started. Do you remember the, the sense of, whoa, this is scary as the grocery store shelves emptied out? You know, toilet paper became a precious commodity. And even finding, you know, a gallon of milk was tough. I remember the, that intense feeling of uneasiness that, that everybody was feeling. And a friend of mine and a former neighbor of mine in Cedar City, Utah, had what I thought was such a productive approach. And he, he posted on social media and he said, look, I know that times are scary and that uh, people are wondering, what can I do? And so he says, look, if you're afraid to leave the house, if, if, if the thought of catching this, this illness has you scared and you're not sure and you don't want to leave the house, he says, if you need something, I want you to call me. If you need me to pick up a gallon of milk or run something across town for you, call me and I will do it for you. And people took him up on it. And I know for, for my own family, as, as we, we kind of borrowed from his example and started going to our neighbors around us and asking, is there anything you need? Do you need food? Do you need? And there were, there were people who didn't have, you know, they didn't have any meat in the house. They hadn't been to the grocery store that week. We happened to be in a position where we could help them. Some people needed diapers for their kids, which, you know, diapers were hard to find. That's kind of kind of the whole toilet paper thing. And it was amazing how the fear suddenly came down to a manageable level. Probably one of the great lessons and one of the silver linings, if I could point to one, of this whole COVID pandemic. So file that away. Keep it in the back of your mind. If you find yourself really struggling... Find somebody that you can help. Find somebody you can serve. And just watch and see if your spirits don't get a nice, needed lift. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. And once again, we are back. Thanks so much for being part of our growing audience. Please go to my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Take a quick look at my sponsors. And I would ask you, if you don't need what they're offering at this moment, please reach out to them and let them know their message is getting to your ears. One of those sponsors is the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. Heather has decades of experience in the lending industry. She understands what the lenders need. She knows what the borrowers need. And she is the one you want on your side to make things happen when time is of the essence. Now, this is fantastic news for anybody home shopping within the state of Utah and particularly within southern Utah. Heather's NMLS ID is 715386. Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. 
You'll find them at 619 South Bluff Street in St. George, where you can call Heather at 435-703-4522. There's also a nice link in my show notes where you could drop an email to her if you want to contact her that way. Just tell her thanks for sponsoring the program. So today's the day that uh, the FDA is expected to, uh, I guess, to to tell us that uh, the Pfizer vaccine, COVID vaccine, is approved. Kind of a weird thing here, and I, I realize I'm I'm straying into some some territory where there's a lot of thin ice. So let me skate around here for a little bit, and let's <laughs> let's let's see if I break through or not. It just seems so early. I know people said, oh, it's a miracle. It's an absolute miracle that this vaccine was, you know, created so quickly. And look, it's out there. And I was asking uh, asking a nurse that I interviewed last week, how long typically does it take to go through that uh, approval process? In other words, to, to have enough information, enough data to really know that a particular medicine or a particular drug is going to do what, to, what it purports to do. Ten years was the answer. How long has this vaccine been out? I don't even know if it's been a year yet. I know they've been working on it for the last year and a half, but wow, this is really, really quick. And if the FDA approves that uh, COVID uh, vaccine from Pfizer, I expect what's going to happen next is this is going to ramp up the effort to get more people to receive the shot. But there are still some very serious questions that remain. And, and it's just a little bit frightening, the, the turn in the tone of the conversation now about vaccinations. You know, it, it used to be, well, hey, it's a good thing, and, you know, you should probably get it. And, that's the, and then it came the bribes. Well, I'll give you a donut, and you can have a beer. Here's 50 bucks. And, and now it's, it's turned to you either get this, this vaccine or you are a grandma killer. <laughs> and and the the language is even getting more intense and moving towards we're we're pointing at the unvaccinated as if you know the source of all of our problems in society are the the unvaccinated. I don't know if you if you wanted to get an inkling of what it must have been like for for Jewish people as uh, the Nazi party came into power. You know it didn't all start at once. They didn't just immediately. All right, we're in power. All the Jews, you get on the train cars and off you go to the camps. There was a very systematic system of demonizing, isolating, and making sure that the seed was planted in the public's mind that these are not even really people. They are insects, and the sooner we exterminate or get rid of that threat, the safer and better off we're all going to be. No, that's not quite where the uh, pro-COVID you know, people are today, but that's the direction that they're marching. You can hear it in the tone of some that's some of them, not all. And as as much as the people want to boil this down to, well, the only reason people are, you know, against vaccines is because they believe some conspiracy theory somebody put out there for them. I don't think that's the case. I think there are still very serious questions that remain. And the fact that uh, the FDA is expected to approve the Pfizer vaccine today, well, it still doesn't answer a lot of those questions. For instance, John Miltimore, writing for the Foundation for Economic Education, has an excellent piece on what is the true vaccine breakthrough rate. In other words, why is it so many of the people who've already had the vaccine, including those who are fully vaccinated, why are they still getting COVID? That's, this is what they refer to as breakthrough cases. You would think the CDC would want to know, why is that? 
But by refusing to track most vaccine breakthrough cases, the CDC has come to this conclusion that, well, collecting and providing less public health information actually is in the public's interest. John Miltimore says over a recent 12-day period, the Milwaukee Brewers had nine players test positive for COVID-19. Now, while we don't know the vaccination status of all the players, the team disclosed that most of the players were vaccinated for COVID-19, including former MVP uh, Christian Yelich, who tested positive after experiencing mild flu-like symptoms. He did the right thing and reported those mild symptoms, Brewer GM David Stern said when it was announced. Yelich was headed to, a dis- to the disabled list. We got him a test. The test returned positive, And we got a confirmation test, which also came back positive. Now, the Brewers aren't an isolated example of Major League Baseball teams experiencing a rash of vaccination breakthroughs. Teams across the league have experienced similar problems, including the New York Yankees, who say nine, they saw nine vaccinated players sidelined in May with COVID-19. This is the vaccine working, CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky told ABC's George Stephanopoulos at the time, adding, well, those who tested positive didn't get a severe infection. Now, John Miltimore says Walensky's correct that data show vaccinated individuals are far less likely to die or become hospitalized with COVID-19 than unvaccinated individuals. And he has a link that will, will take you to that study. Yet breakthrough cases also appear to be more common than the CDC, the media, and public health officials suggest. For instance, CNN says, well, the breakthrough rate is less than 1%. While CBS News reports 99.7% of new COVID cases involve unvaccinated people. The Hill, meanwhile, agrees that CDC data show less than 1% of fully vaccinated people get COVID. But John Miltimore asked, how does this data mesh with anecdotal evidence that suggests Many vaccinated people are contracting COVID. Now, he says to be sure it's not just Major League Baseball teams who are seeing spikes of COVID cases among vaccinated individuals. A recent outbreak in Provincetown, Massachusetts, found that the vast majority of COVID cases involved vaccinated individuals. Town manager Alex Morse told NBC, overwhelmingly, the affected individuals have been fully vaccinated for COVID-19. And the outbreak, which was attributed to the rise of the Delta variant, was serious enough to prompt the CDC, which published a report on the outbreak, to reverse its recommendation that vaccinated individuals needn't wear masks indoors. But that wasn't all. The CDC study also found, the Washington Post noted, individuals carried as much virus in their noses as unvaccinated individuals. Dr. Walensky said high viral loads suggest an increased risk of transmission and raised concern that unlike with other variants, vaccinated people infected with Delta can transmit the virus. John Miltimore says all this data suggests two important things. First, COVID cases among vaccinated individuals appear to be higher than that less than 1% many claim. Two, vaccinated individuals appear quite capable of transmitting the virus to others, as Walensky states. Indeed, viral loads in nasal passages suggest they could transmit the virus at rates similar to unvaccinated carriers. Now, he reminds us, in the world today, we often hear, you know, the data is king, but the problem is data has been a total mess throughout the pandemic. COVID, the New York Times recently observed, has shown the CDC is utterly broken, which I would translate as utterly politicized. John Miltimore says, because of this, I decided to see how the CDC tracks and defines breakthrough cases. 
Now, there's much more to this article, and I have it linked in the show notes, and I'm going to encourage you, check this out for yourself. But the thing you need to know is that as of May 1st, the CDC transitioned from identifying and investigating uh, cases, those breakthrough cases, they only focus on the hospitalized cases. And John Miltimore says, you know, the fact that almost no one noticed the CDC simply stopped tracking and reporting the vast majority of vaccine breakthrough cases, any not involving hospitalization or death, he says, that's pretty whack. How is public health better served with less data? That's a fair question. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for sticking with me so far. <laughs> I, I worry that uh, despite my best efforts, sometimes I get really passionate about uh, some of the various topics. And I, I feel bad for beating the drum, especially on some of the COVID-19 things. But I want you to know, if you get the vaccine or if you wear a mask, I do not think less of you. I don't think you're a stupid, misinformed or evil person. But the place where I draw the line and the place where I'm trying to bring people's attention, particularly as it relates to, you know, these pandemic measures, is that no one has the right to force another person regarding medical decisions. Informed consent is a real thing. And and this is uh, my my deepest opposition to the COVID vaccine at this time is not because I know this vaccine doesn't work and it's putting nanobots in your blood and it's, you know, part of a mass extermination event. I don't know that. I've heard the rumors. I've heard the theories. And I, I just I don't know. What I do know is that there is an unprecedented amount of pressure being brought on those who have not yet received the vaccine. And it is so intense. And people are so open about the idea of, well, you know what we ought to do is we ought to, we ought to force these people out of society. Into the ghetto. Onto the cattle cars. Into the camps where we can protect them from themselves. No, there's, there's language like that going around. And way too many people are nodding thoughtfully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're the, they're the danger. If your idea is so good that it has to be enforced at the point of a gun or it has to be made compulsory, it's not a good idea. And, of course, playing fast and loose with data like we were covering in the, the last segment, that hasn't helped either. So, you know, if, if you're looking for a reason to pigeonhole me, looking for a reason to dismiss what I'm saying, well, you're just an anti-vaxxer. Not necessarily. If a person wants to take the vax and they've, they've done their homework and they've weighed the risks and said, this is in my interest. And for some people, especially those with the real comorbidities, obesity, heart disease, diabetes, that may be the better way to go. But nobody has the right to force other people into doing something against their will. Look at how many people are in danger of losing their jobs right now. There's a public school, and shoot, I can't remember the name of the university. There's just two universities now, or two colleges within the last week, who've become very heavy-handed in how they do this. And the latest one that I heard of, and I'm I'm sorry I don't have this at my fingertips, so this is just going to be hearsay, is disenrolling students 
who cannot show proof that they've been vaccinated. We don't even want you at our school. Now, if it was a private school, that would be one thing, right? This is a public university, though. And the other school, which, again, I don't know if it's private or if it's a public one, but uh, yeah, 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 we'll let the vaccinated students stay, but they have to be isolated. In other words, they're pretty much subject to house arrest, you know, to protect everybody. They got to be masked. They got to be segregated from, you know, the normal society who's had the, the shot. Oh, but they can't have Internet. See how see how cool that is, how, how subtly we can just, you know, I mean, I'm not saying that these students couldn't get by, you know, without Internet, but how easy would your life be if Internet suddenly was gone? Hopefully you can see my point here. And this is stuff that's being suggested and in some cases being implemented. You want to see a really bad example of, of where it leads? Look at Australia. Look at a country on, under military lockdown right now. That's the future we are marching towards, and it is not a good thing. So I have the deepest respect for those voices of dissent who are saying, I won't do it. I won't comply. And it's going to be curious to see where this leads in the days ahead. You know, these aren't people who have some kind of a death wish. They aren't, you know, Trumpers out there. You just, you know, Trump said to do this. I don't know if you saw this over the weekend, but Trump speaking to a crowd in Alabama actually urged people to get vaccinated. And a very supportive crowd booed him for suggesting such a thing. Sometimes you hear people say, well, you think you know more than a doctor? You think you are smarter than a doctor? You think you have more intelligence than a doctor? And my answer is, when it comes to my own health and the decisions about what to do regarding my body, I damn sure do know more than that doctor. Now, that doctor can make recommendations for me. And I can weigh those recommendations. But if I decide it's not in my interest, my personal autonomy should be absolute. Now, usually this is where the knee-jerk reaction is, well, but what if, what if you're infected? Oh, okay, what if? Where's the proof? Well, you don't know if you're infected. Right. That's how deadly this disease is. People don't even know that they have. They have to go get tested to find out if they have it, for many of them. And for those who do, guess what? The ones who test positive, the ones who actually get it, 99.7% of them survive it. I mean, do, do you not see the, the disconnect here? Nobody has the right to force those decisions on somebody else. So don't get caught up in all the, you know, the don't don't punch the tar baby of, you know, vaccines or, you know, just a plot by the New World Order to poison everybody. I don't know if that's true or not, but I know that someone is trying to force people into decisions they don't want to make, and that's unacceptable. And it's so hard to have a productive conversation today as a result of this, and I believe a lot of that is because it's fear-driven. Is it possible that we can discuss anything of importance without bringing more anger to the situation? I found a great piece on the the growing rage of the uninformed. I don't know who the author is. M. Hadfield is credited in the byline. This is from trialsitenews.com. But I thought this was an interesting take. It says, in a New York Times op-ed article this week, well-respected economist Paul Krugman pens what he termed the quiet rage of the responsible. 
Now, his rage, just like that of many progressives in the media, is neither quiet nor based on facts and succumbs to some breakdowns in logic that a man of his stature and training should know better than to commit. The article says we all want COVID-19 to end, and for many, the summer months and the promise of widely available, effective, and safe vaccines was the light at the end of the tunnel we'd been waiting for. Progressives, in particular, rushed to get inoculated at the first available opportunity, many of them posting images of the happy event on social media with statements like, fully vaxxed, who wants to hang out? And what has become increasingly obvious as the summer has progressed is that hope of a return to normalcy is rapidly sliding away just about as fast as Dr. Anthony Fauci's faltering credibility. So why the rage? Well, the article says Americans are a stubborn bunch, and it should not be a surprise that many people would hesitate to accept what amounts to an inadequately tested experimental vaccine rushed into production by a handful of profit-motivated companies and boosted by an extremely well-funded and aggressive marketing campaign of fear-mongering. The U.S. government has spent over a billion dollars trying to convince us to get vaccinated. The message is get vaccinated, but the unfortunate implementation of it is be afraid. Fear sells and the media has gleefully jumped on this financial free-for-all with ever more outrageous fear-driven messages. The word variant has entered the common lexicon, repeated in casual talk millions of times across the nation. And the media has bolstered it with vacuous titles like Delta on steroids or even the disgusting Doomsday variant. Had they no shame? And yet it has certainly worked, not to get everyone vaccinated, but to scare the hell out of them. People are indeed terrified. This approach doesn't serve the common good, but rather contributes to ever-intensifying divisiveness. We've been told by everyone from President Biden on down to the CDC director, Walensky, that breakthrough infections are rare, but they're not. We've been told this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. It's not. And most disturbingly and illogically, talking to you, Mr. Krugman, that the reason we're all not having dinner parties right now is that the unvaccinated have let the rest of us responsible people down, that they alone are responsible for the emergence of Delta and the perpetuation of this awful pandemic. No wonder progressives are feeling enraged. And here the author says, you know, I also have rage, Mr. Krugman. I'm aggravated by my government telling me to be afraid when part of their job is to keep people calm. I'm tired of so-called fact checkers conducting coordinated smear campaigns against highly credentialed experts that have dedicated their lives to helping others and have done nothing more than question the mainstream narrative espoused by political operatives like the CDC's Walensky and the compromised Dr. Fauci. The attempt at eradicating eradicating any scientific debate and dissension is maddening. I'm enraged that thousands of small business owners have lost their lives' work and their livelihoods at the illogical instructions of detached bureaucrats more interested in political theater than science. Since when does a virus not infect you when you are seated, but only when you enter or leave a restaurant? Or you get up to use the restroom? Yet we're all subjected to this absurdity every time we go out to dinner. Restaurant owners are so grateful to be allowed to finally open their doors, they willingly comply with these instructions, no matter how nonsensical they are to any thinking human being. We're going to come back to this in just a moment. Again, it's the rage of the informed. You'll find it in the show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. This is The Brian Hyde Show. 
This is The Brian Hyde Show. Welcome back to the show. One of my sponsors is lifesavingfood.com. In fact, there's a link right there on the show notes page for today's show notes. You can just click on it and it will take you directly to the website where you can check things out for yourself. Food storage can be a really daunting thing for some people because we kind of get it in our heads. Well, I got to have a year's supply. We better get it all at once. That's like, you know, trying to eat an elephant all in one bite. The good news is lifesavingfood.com has many different packages from, you know, smaller individual packages. This is one I thought was really cool. It's 100 bucks. It is a roll-top dry bag with 60 individual servings of various foods. I think there's about eight different foods. But these have a 25-year shelf life. Why the roll-top dry bag? Well, I don't know. Word on the street is that uh, particularly southern Utah has received an awful lot of rain and flooding central Utah as well. So my listeners in these areas might want to consider, you know, if you needed something, you could grab and go. Something that was protected from, you know, say unexpected flooding. I don't know. That seems like a pretty good investment of 100 bucks. And here's the best part. You mention my name at checkout, coupon code HYDE. They'll take 10% off, your, off the purchase price for you. All right. Back to the article, The Growing Rage of the Uninformed. This is from TrialSiteNews.com. And the author says, I am enraged that the U.S. government spent $66 million over 20 years on research grants for gain-of-function experiments that should never have been allowed to take place. Dr. Fauci oversaw the distribution of some of these funds, including cynically moving the research to China when it was outlawed by the Obama administration, as if that would make it less risky to humanity. The author says, I'm enraged that Dr. Fauci plays with words when he's questioned by senators, making statements like, this is not gain of function, when he knows very well that dangerous viruses were deliberately modified to make them transmissible in humans. Who cares what it's called, Dr. Fauci? That's hardly the salient point when the world has been devastated by this awful work you were involved in. He says, I'm engaged, I'm enraged rather that friends of mine seem to think it's okay to shame people into taking what by definition is still an investigational vaccine as defined by Pfizer itself. That, that what I put, choose to put in my body is anybody's business but my own. It's like one unreported side effect of these vaccines is to turn you into a total butt. Mind your own business. I'm not telling you what to do with your body. He says, I'm enraged that there have been over 13,000 deaths reported to the CDC's own adverse event reporting database. But that any objective analysis of this data is dismissed by the media and others is not conclusive or no evidence of being causal. Since when do hundreds of children and otherwise healthy adults die in their sleep within days of receiving an investigational product? Since when do young people experience heart problems and any number of other disturbing maladies where there were none before? In fact, he says, let's not even call it a vaccine. A vaccine protects you from getting sick pretty much 100% of the time. We're not even a year into this and fully vaccinated people are getting sick in their thousands, many of them dying on ventilators. We've moved from one shot to a second. We're already handing out booster shots all within 12 months. The so-called vaccine is not working as advertised, and it's illogical to blame the unvaccinated. Look at the data out of Israel, where over 78% of the people over age 12 are fully vaccinated, and they're now experiencing a full-on rebirth of COVID as strong as ever. 
He says, I'm livid that in the quest to get high overall vaccination rates, the government has turned to children and teens as easy targets to bolster the numbers, even though they are in the lowest risk cohort for COVID. He says, my daughter got sick with COVID and recovered within days and now has the natural immunity of the body. She does not need this vaccine with no long-term safety testing forced upon her young body. Technically, the clinical trial isn't even done for the existing emergency youth-authorized vaccines, although Pfizer and the government are now in a rush to secure formal approval. And again, that's, that's taking place today. But I'm not sure I'm ready to risk my daughter's health without more long-term data. Is that unreasonable of a father? Yet the mindless bureaucrats that govern our school districts are dutifully falling into line around school vaccine mandates. How am I to explain to my daughter that what she hears on the news is biased? That her friend's parents are not critical thinkers and that she can't attend school events because I have concerns about the health of her body in coming years where she, her, were she to subject herself to this unprecedented clinical trial. I don't test other experimental drugs on her. Why would I agree to this one? Which brings us to the question, so where do we go from here? It should be clear to all by now that COVID is not going to go away. Indeed, there are rational, science-based arguments from extremely credible experts that the vaccination campaign itself is causing the variants to arise. So-called escape variants that become ever more equipped to infect, spread, and thrive among the vaccinated populace. Now, of course, there's no absolute proof one way or the other. But he says, I don't believe this anger and finger-pointing is helpful to our society or our collective mental health. Now, this is going to tick some people off this next line, but I'm going to share it anyway. We need to learn to live with this virus. How can that be? Well, because that's what we've done before with other viruses. This is not, you know, the doomsday virus that, that some have made it out to be. Viruses run their course until herd immunity kicks in. And what you do is you try to protect the most vulnerable but a virus is going to do what it's going to do. It doesn't care whatever you wrote on paper. Well, see, now we've got this policy. That virus will not be able to spread. It doesn't care. And this can be seen by the fact that places that locked down hard, like New York City, found that they still had an intense amount of transmission of the virus, especially last year. And most people got it at home. I know, we've kind of been conditioned since about, what, age five? to believe government will solve whatever problem. Viruses don't care who's in charge. Government can help, by the way. Don't think that I'm suggesting there's nothing that they can do either. What they can do is give us real good data. I mean real, credible data. And then let us make up our minds. Let us weigh the risks. What we will do for ourselves. You realize most people who were wearing masks were doing so before the mandates kicked in. We're not sheep. The author here says we need to look after our health with common sense solutions that lower our risk of serious illness and death. We need to address obesity, which dramatically raises our risk profiles. We need to embrace the proven treatment capabilities of repurposed drugs with high safety profiles like ivermectin and others that have been tested over decades of use. But most importantly, he says our leaders need to stop making up facts to support their agendas and deliver honest information to the public. And they need to stop this disgusting fear-mongering. Its toll on our mental health is becoming intolerable. 
We need to get out of the way of small business people and let them rebuild the economy and their livelihoods. At this point, we all know what COVID is and what its risks are. If we don't feel safe in a restaurant or a gym, we won't go. We don't need the government stepping on the necks of business owners who choose to be open to customers. And I really like this last part. Most of all, we need to stop with the finger pointing and the self-righteous blame and start to love and appreciate one another again. We need to heal this country and the world from the devastation that has occurred. So at the root of that problem, that last one that's pointed out, the finger pointing of the self-righteous blame, I believe most of that stems from a desire to control others. Now, as a parent, when your kid is misbehaving, I know, you want to get them back under control. Stop that tantrum. Everybody in the grocery store is staring at us. You know, it's, it's embarrassing. But by the time you reach adulthood, it's time to recognize that there are boundaries. And I, I think the most simple appeal is simply, is your life your own or not? When you woke up this morning, did you wake up with the idea that, hey, I'm okay with somebody holding a gun to my head and telling me, do this or do that. Go here or go there. Most people, reasonable people, would say, no, of course not. Fearful people might say, well, you know, if I, if I was sick or something, maybe that's something they needed to do. The bottom line is, controlling other people is an immoral act. The desire to control other people is immoral. There's actually a name for it. I mean, this has been understood for a long time. It's called libido dominandi. Lust for control. Now, here's the kicker. You can't control other people who are consumed with that lust to exert their influence on everybody around them. You can't do it. But you know what you can do? Not be that person. Makes me think of the uh, comment made by Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Talking about the big lie. His take was, hey, let the lie come into the world. Even let it prevail. But not through me. That's where you and I have power. And that's where we need to be exercising our influence strongly. This is The Brian Hyde Show.